we are going to be starting a series in March called Global Jesus. This is, I'm so excited about this. Uh, we're part of this, a network called Ethnos, and Ethnos does this Global Jesus where they have people who talk about different things that Jesus is doing in their community. And I took it a step further. We're going to do Jesus is Lord, but we're going to have people come from different places from around the world to talk about how Jesus is Lord from their cultural context. So it's going to be amazing. So we got my friend Isaac from Costa Rica, my friend Steve from England. He grew up in Birmingham in a house church. Uh, I got my friend Ernest, who's from India. Got my friend Akram that's coming, and he's from Egypt. And so then we're going to have me preach and now end our Jesus is Lord during Easter Sunday. So I'm really excited about this. And so one thing that's really great about Isaac coming, he's bringing a translator. So he's going to be speaking in Spanish with a translator on that Sunday. So we're going we're gonna to crush that, uh, that, that language barrier that Sunday. I'm super excited that that we have good friends like this who are going to come around us and share what Jesus is Lord. And I think it's going to change our perspective in our lives of how Jesus is Lord. Uh, so like we talked last week, we talked about how Jesus is the object of our life. And so the way the Bible describes that is Jesus is Lord. And so we want to see what it looks like for people all around the world who look at Jesus, maybe we may not have the same perception as they do. And I was talking to my friend Steve, and he was just like, yeah, politics is not involved. We lived in a kingdom monarchy. We don't care about politics when it comes to Jesus. And so there was a totally different aspect about his life, like how he grows up. So he finds it so weird how America, it, it, how politics and religion are together. And so we're just going to hear from him and see what that's all about. And I just love that. And today, we're starting a new series that we are the church. We are the church. And I'm so excited to be talking to you guys about this subject, this subject where we're making Jesus the object. is because one of the things that I believe is that the church gets a bad rap. And we get a bad rap because... Some of these things aren't happening Some, sometimes. I remember when I first went to my first church I've ever went to as an adult, a guy who was an usher, he said it five or six times. He says, God is no respecter of person. And I'm wondering why he keeps telling me why God is not a respecter of person. Every time I went, he would say that. He said, I love you, man. God is not a respecter of person. And I started to look around, and I was the only black guy in the church. And I said, man, that's a bad thing to say to me. And we walking in and out of church. You really want me to feel welcome here? And you just, that's, the, that's how you greet me? And so then sometimes we get to, uh, me being, being a person who loves Jesus, didn't even think too much about it, but kept moving forward. And then I remember I went to a church who, who was my friend's church, and nobody said anything to me. Like the whole service. Not one thing. No, a, a greeter didn't say hi. A usher didn't say hello. I, I went to the greeting table, and I was trying to fill out my information for the card, and she was like, well, I ain't got no pins right now. And she was just so dismissive. I was like, man, what makes people want to come here? Like, no hospitality. And I was just thinking the church just gets, like, a bad name. And then some of the reasons people go to church, like we have friends that we, that we are, are around, and sometimes they just go to church to not be seen. So they go to larger churches so nobody will have fellowship with them or connection. They're just, getting, they're just doing this, like, religious thing that's happening. And today we're going to talk about one of the big ideas of today 
that I'm going to talk about, and I'm still going through my introduction, so don't worry, we got a long introduction today. The big idea is the best place to find relationship with God is in fellowship with others. The best place. I have my, one of my mom's uh, family friends, I call him Uncle Cecil. For years, Uncle Cecil said, I didn't, know, I didn't need to go to church. I can get God at home. For years, he said that. And I was like, no, how? How are you doing this by yourself? Like, I'm a little kid going to church all, every Sunday. How are you doing this by yourself? How are you worshiping? How are you giving your own offering? How are you, going, how are you doing this stuff by yourself? As a kid, I didn't understand, like, what he, mean, what he meant by that. And, and so that was some of the things. But when I got older, when I was in my 20s and 30s, he was a deacon at the church, and he went every Sunday. So God must have got a hold of his heart in the midst of that. But sometimes we think, we think our, we can't find relationship because of how bad our relationships have already been with others. It's so hard to walk into a group of people who you don't know. And I think, to me, because I'm an extrovert, those are the most fun times, <laughs> walking with strangers. But some people, they just don't think they can find relationship with God with others. And then they, then they have that, those sayings. And we talked about what Jesus said. Like to follow him, you have to give some things up. And, and one of the things that we got to give up is, is our, our own insecurities around groups. And we have a lot of them. Maybe we don't have a lot of them. Maybe the groups that we, we are introduced to are not interests. Because I think about Meetup app. There's like hundreds of groups meeting up around the city, around things that people interest them. So people want to meet in groups. But what's that? one of my things is, what, group, what groups are we inviting them to? And then our bottom line today is the most valuable place to see a life filled with Jesus is in fellowship. I think that's so powerful. See, God desires for us to, to be in a shared life with each other. I'm going to just talk about a few facts today. They're in your Bible app. If you're in your Bible app, they got to extend it. And me and Melanie were going over these, and they, man, they really put some shock and awe in what it means. So we're going to talk a little bit about loneliness. These are some just a few facts of loneliness. I used to struggle with loneliness. Like one of the things why I started to go to churches and be around churches was because I was lonely. I didn't know how to make friends. I didn't know what it meant to be in a friendship. And most of the friends that I had that I really built relationship around uh, were around church. Like people starting to pick me up and all those type of things. And I think one of the things that we all know is that we all feel lonely at some time in our life. And some of these facts are really jarring for me. Loneliness does not depend on how many friends or relationships you have. Man, that, that's the biggest thing. It doesn't depend on, on your social capital. And then this is the one that really got me. More than 60% of lonely people are married. Man, loneliness is deep. And then this one, loneliness distorts our perceptions of our relationships. And in your Bible app, it has like uh, some of those statements. And one of the things that it distorts our perception is, is like we think, we think because when people say, we are here for the lonely and the outcasts. We're, and then it says, psychologically, you reminded that you're lonely. And so now you don't want to be in relationship with the person that reminded you that you're lonely. So it distorts our, our thoughts in that. And then the other thing, loneliness is contagious in social networks. 
Can you believe that? That when people become loners and they have these group of loners. Remember in youth group, they used to always talk about people would say, I'm attracted to the loners. And that's even a bad statement to make now. Why would you be attracted to somebody that wants to be isolated? And then remind them that they're isolated and that you're attracted to them because they're isolated. <laughs> and and th- that is such a deep thought right there. And then this is the one that me and Melanie were like freaking out about. Loneliness actually makes us feel colder. <laughs> so it says psychologically... They did a study on groups of people who felt lonely, and when they felt lonely, the actual temperature in their body dropped. And that when people, when they felt isolated, they felt colder physically because they were loners. I thought that that right there, right there, meant said, man, we need groups. <laughs> If you're thinking about what it means to be in a group and loneliness, God created this cure, and we're going to talk about it in First John, but I think it's important. He uses this word, before we, even, before we even get into it, he uses this special word that only churches know. Nobody's going around saying this word anymore, but we're going to talk about this word, and I want this word to be something that you think about. So write it down, put it in your phone, put it on a post-it note. Put it on your mirror every day and look at this word. And this word is a Greek word. It's called koinonia. And it means these special things. It means common life. Now, it doesn't mean common as far as, uh, uh, what do you say, Mel? Uh, Like whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't mean common that way. It means common as in we have a commonality. Koinonia means we have a commonality, we have a common life together. And then it means communion. It means sharing together. And then it means shared life. Koinonia means shared life. And the last thing it means is fellowship. Man, this is, this is so beautiful. When we look at this word and we understand what it really means, it means that we have, and I'm going to say it, we have a shared common interest in life and we fellowship around it. Basically church. <laughs> a shared common. And then I like this one. It's in the, I'll leave that up if some of you still are writing down some of those things. Then we're going to be in First John 1 through 4. And we're going to talk about three things in that. We're going to talk about these are three major things through these first three verses. And I think it's super powerful for us to understand what God is saying about relationship and groups. Listen, I, didn't, I remember the first time, my whole life, I've never been in a small group. My whole entire life. Even, we didn't even have youth group when I was growing up. My whole life, there was no such thing as group. Then all of a sudden, I get saved in Florida in a teen challenge. And all of a sudden, six months in, I'm on the leadership team. And then all of a sudden, I go to this church. And it's nothing but all these young people gathering this group, sharing the word of God, and having fun. My first small group, I did an egg run. They tied a uh, uh, they tied a rope around my leg with one of my friends, and then we had to hold the egg in our mouth and run to the other's end line in the middle of the summer in Florida. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is what small groups is about!" It was amazing. 
Then I went to another small And then we talked about God. We went deeper with God in the midst of that small group. I was so excited about being a part of that group with those people, being in relationship with them. There was food. There was fun. There was worship. There, there was all these things attached to this small group. And I said to myself, man, what have I been missing? Nobody's ever invited me to anything like this in my life. I was super excited. And so all I know is that when we get Koinonia right, it'll start changing the way we look at each other and the way that we treat each other and the way that we love each other. When we get it right, when we get to common thing, because because this person invited me into this small group, into this fellowship, into this common thing, and I had so much, I had fun. I had a blast. I had a blast doing it. I said, I want that for the rest of my life. So guess what? I went to a bunch of small groups. They weren't all doing egg runs with eggs in their mouth, but they were still fun. Getting to know people. One guy had a swimming party. I mean, Florida, you could do a lot of things with small groups because it's not snowing half the year. So you can do a lot of things in Florida. I loved being in that being in that concept. But in First John one, he starts to he starts this off talking about relationships and how key relationships are. And so sometimes I know when we talk in a church, how we talk about church, we talk about an individual relationship. But as John as John talks about the invitation of relationship, it is not separate from one another. It is actually meaning that he fellowship with other people who have common. And I, I think sometimes when we talk about us having a personal relationship with God, that doesn't mean that you just have a personal relationship with God. You have a personal relationship with the Godhead. You have a personal relationship with God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. So how can you just have this personal relationship? It's like all... <clears throat> It's like the Trinity is being in relationship with you. When I grew up in the 90s, there was this song by De La Soul, and they said, who are you? Me, myself, and I. Like, that's who you are. Me, myself, and I. And I remember that was like one of my favorite songs because it was like, I'm me, myself, and I. Who are you? Me, myself, and I. And if you go back and listen to it, you can YouTube it. And so it, my identity was all saying that, hey, I'm not by myself all the time. I have three different names in the concept of it. And when you ask me who I am, I'm more than just me. That was the concept of the song. That my identity was was in three different kind of persons, and you know, <clears throat> hip hop has some really good some really good spiritual facts that happen in there. You can really break down, and I and I love this. The first major thing we're going to read John one one through four is the center of relationship is Jesus. Let's go. We're going to read verses one through two, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, and what we have observed and, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify, and we declare it to you, the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. Amazing. John is saying, because there's this, there's this religious sect that's saying Jesus actually was a phantom. We would call it today as Gnosticism. They were saying Jesus was not real. He was just a phantom that went around. And John is saying, no, no, no. 
No, no, no. He was from the beginning. He was before all time. He was this eternal existence that was real. And he's saying, guess what? I heard him. I don't know about you, but I heard him. And then he said, not only did I hurt him, I seen him with my own eyes. And then he just discounted all the people that we know, seeing is believing. He said, I seen him with my own eyes. And then he says, I observed him moving and living and breathing and building relationship and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And then he said, I have touched him with our hands concerning the word of life. He is saying, Jesus who was made flesh in John 1, manifested a real life that was in common with others. And Jesus said relationship, the invitation relationship starts with him. The invitation of relationship. Like I remember when me and Melanie were getting married, and I just had this thought that Jesus needed to be in the center of our marriage. And I don't know if I told you guys this story before. When me and Melly first got married, we were hot like ashes, boy. Everything was going. Me and Melly had two kind of uh, personalities. I was I was extreme extrovert, and she was extrovert. She's strong-willed, and I'm stronger-willed. So there was no way that we were going to see eye-to-eye on anything. We didn't. She didn't like this, and I didn't like that. Everything was going back and forth, back and forth. We were arguing all the time, what she would call intense fellowships. We were fellowshipping. She had intense fellowship. We would have all these intense fellowships. Then one thing happened. Like, I was, I was like, man, I cannot live my marriage like this. I can't. Jesus, I need you to be the center. I need you to be in the middle of my marriage. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you guys need to stop, pray, and take communion. And Melanie was still yelling at me. I said, whoa, whoa, let's stop. And I said, we need to pray and take communion. And she like, I don't know, something just clicked. She said, yes. And I was like, oh, that's the first agreeable thing that happened. For the last couple of months, I was like, all right, this may be working. So we started to pray, and we started to take communion, and we started to, we started to both pray. And all of a sudden, I just remember my heart just got filled with a little bit more grace. And I remember it just put peace over both of us. And we lived our marriage from that point as Jesus being the sinner and peace was just filling us. Not saying we don't have intense fellowships ever again. But we remember and we knew at that time that we actually made Jesus the center of our marriage and it was just such a beautiful understanding of like how he could be the center of our relationship like i know some people have a relationship with jesus melanie has her relationship carl has that their relationship no that's not how it's supposed to work we have a common shared relationship with jesus and we got married understanding that we we're going to be married with the same relationship like her relationship is not going to be better than mine it wasn't that tit for tat. And it was just beautiful. And, that, and this is what John is talking about, that life was revealed and we've seen it. And we started to testify, declare that eternal life was with the Father and was revealed to us. So when me and you get in a common shared koinonia relationship, I was just thinking about this. If we can all understand this, our relationship is built on eternity. It's not built on us. 
It's built on the eternal existence of Jesus Christ. If we believe he is real and we get into this relationship, that means we have everything that we need from each other because Jesus is the center of why we're gathering and why we're meeting and why we're eating and why we're seeing each other. He says this. He's the center of relationship. I love that. Let's go on to verse 3. It says, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship, koinonia, with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John is saying we're invited into a relationship with the Trinity. We're invited into this relationship with not only God and Jesus, but we are invited to fellowship to have something in common with them and to join them in everything that Jesus and his father had. I think that's so amazing. I think that's so amazing that we are at this point in our life where when me and you meet and when all we meet, when, uh, just think about when we go to Sarah Alice's house, it's not about us just meeting these people for a little while and just being in our life, that we're meeting for an eternal existence that's being manifested real, sharing the word of God, living this life out. And I just think sometimes we don't think about the spiritual implications of why we are in groups with each other. And that right there could change everything. You have in common an eternal existence with this other person. This is not, you're just not meeting because you think they make good brownies. Now, some people do. Like when I was in Bible college, they made, they made good uh, gooey butter cake. But they also gave us hard words. They had hard words for us. And I remember, I remember when uh, my Bible director's wife started to speak. She spoke like a prophet. And every word that she said, we like hung on it. And we took it to heart. And we walked it out because it had an eternal implication upon our life. It wasn't because she was greater than anybody or she knew more than anybody. She had this passion for us to understand that the law of God was going to keep us pure. And if we wanted to be pure in relationship with others, we had to understand that the word of life, as John said, that was revealed to us, is going to be real and manifest and it had eternal implications. Powerful. He invites us into that kind of relationship. And I love that he invites us in that kind of relationship because what we have seen and heard also we declare to you. Like, because we're in fellowship with each other, we can declare the things that we've seen, the miracles that we've seen, the moving of God that we've seen, the prayers that have been answered that we've seen, the, the hurt that we have seen, the pain that we have seen. We've been in fellowship with each other. The hard things that we have seen, we can share that with each other and grow deeper. And like I always say that we can't grow better alone. And I guarantee you, you can't be the same person you were in 2019 and 2020. You have to change something. You have to reinvent your life in some way to say, I'm going to live differently. I know we all make, well, we're either going to go to the gym or we're going to read a new book or we're going to do something that changes our mindset. But guess what? God created us to be in groups so that we can all change eternally. Man, that's so powerful. Like koinonia means fellowship. It means something that we're doing that's going to change the eternal implications of who we are. And I love that. I love that we get the opportunity to change. So if you've never been in a group and had change, like I'm a little strict, 
I don't believe that uh, small groups should stay the same for 30 years. I'm a little strict in that. Because if we're staying the same with the same people, doing the same thing all the time, are we changing? Are we transforming? Are we asking people to enter this eternal fellowship? And I love this. When God gives us the invitation, it doesn't mean that we have to know all about God when we enter into this fellowship. All we have to know is that he is God, Jesus died on a cross for our sins, and that we can be in relationship with people. That's it. You don't have to know all the theology in the Bible. You don't have to know how to do all the things. The gifts of the Lord will come out. Being in group in Koinonia is actually a work of the Holy Spirit and a finished work of Christ. Like, the disciples did not even have relationship like this until Jesus was gone. They didn't meet in groups like this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain how that happens uh, in my conclusion. And then verse 4, I love this. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I love what, they, I love what John is saying here. He's saying, if you take this commitment to be a Christian, and you know being in groups is an eternal implication, and you know that you are not meant to be alone, and you're, not meant, you're in the beginning, you know his word is manifested in you. He says, there's an application of you being filled with joy. Man, the result of relationship and fellowship is being filled with joy. Man, that is powerful. Didn't you see how happy I was when I talked about my very first small group? It filled me with joy. Don't think that every time you are praying, seeking, reading the word, and you're doing it all by yourself, and you have nobody to talk about it, uh, you've got to be filled with joy. Melanie came home this week. I just walked in the house. I was tired. She was smiling, giggling, and she, she was giving me a big hug. And then she said, welcome home, best friend. And I was just like, oh, Lord, <laughs> what just happened? And she's like, you are my best friend, Carl. I love, and she loves telling me all the stuff that's happened in her life, and I love hearing it. And we're both filled with joy. When I'm talking about all the vision and all the things that are happening, and she's like, yeah, oh, my goodness, that's exciting. And we both are in relationship, and we're fellowship with each other in that. Joy is happening. Melanie gets joy from sharing life with me. Sometimes. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So we need to understand that we get joy from being in groups. When we're not in groups, we're not in, we're not in joy. And I want to say something. Like, one of the things that I know is such a spiritual implication. Like, when we read this word of God, it has spiritual authority to take root in our life. And we can understand that today, as you're hearing these things that God will definitely deposit joy in your life, but let you know that that joy is not certain. It's not certain. The, the devil does come still and destroy your life, and he wants to take that joy in groups. He loves to divide people in groups. He loves to be divisive. Those are, the, those are his tools to divide and conquer. That's what he does, to create loneliness. 
and we're reading this book, and we, we understand that words have a way of changing people's life. When we welcome people, say, I love you, I care about you, oh, man, that's amazing, and we start to speak life to people, the devil wants to make certain that we leave our joy. And our job as Christians is to take this joy that God has given, let it remind us. Like, I have to understand, when we get a season of joy in our life, doesn't mean that we're going to be happy forever. It means that God is preparing us to look back on something so that when we feel the worst, that we know, man, God gives me joy. And sometimes, sometimes we forget it, and we get, we get in a funk, and we're not joyous, and and we're griping at people, and we're yelling, and we're complaining, and we don't remember that. But God is telling us in the midst of this, remember that you have joy. Joy is what God has for you. And one of the biblical implications of groups, I love groups, and why we do groups, like doing life in groups. Like, I don't like saying uh, doing life on life. I like doing shared life. And what shared life means to me, it means that we share something in common. You bring in something fully 100% to the table, and I'm bringing fully 100% to the table. And your perspective is as valuable as my perspective. And I'm not the one who knows all of it. We know it all together because we're all 100%. And that's what groups are supposed to be like. We are all supposed to have one thing in common, which we know is Jesus Christ, who's the center of our relationship, bring all the relationship in, and we're fellowshipping with him. And one of the things that make up a group are three things. I love this. Worship. We know how to worship together. Community. We know how to live with each other. Like if we went on a camping trip, I hope we would like each other when we came back. And then the last thing, mission. We should be a part of the Missio Dei, the mission of God, which Jesus left us all together. We should all be understanding the redemptive plan of God for our lives and for others. And that's what makes up a perfect group. And perfect doesn't mean everybody looking all good and plastic. Perfect means fully established in what God called us to do in fellowship. Three things we need. We need community. Whether we believe it or not, we need it. We need community. Even if we don't want community in the aspects in which community is being pushed upon us, we need it. Like one of the most things that I was talking to a guy when we were doing the outreach, and I said that he was, he was drinking, and I said, oh, man, you could." I told him my story, and he says, I understand all that. And then he says uh, he was watching up above in his apartment and was trying to wait for us to leave when we were doing like a hot dog outreach. And then he said something so profound to me. And I never thought about this. He said, I want community on my terms. Mm, man, that put like, I was like, I didn't know how to deal with that right there in that moment. It's like, how do you combat somebody who has made a determination that they're not going to church because they want community on their terms? I said, man, how often do we discard groups because we want things our way? When God is saying he needs a perspective, he needs us to understand that fellowship is for us all. And even if it doesn't happen our way, it's still community. And sometimes we discount community because it doesn't feel good to us. Like, I love that Melanie gives you brownie points for moving out of your seat. 
It makes you awkward. But that makes you community. Now you have touched somebody just like Jesus has touched all his disciples. And I think that's a powerful thing. And one of the most amazing scriptures that we're going to go in today, that's going to be the biblical application of everything that I'm talking about. If I'm wrong, then the Bible's wrong. And I'm, 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 so, I'm so excited to say these words. So how you're going to apply this to your life. How are you saying, Pastor Carl, how am I going to grow deeper in this community that you're saying we should be a part of? How am I going to find this koinonia? I have not had this my whole life. I don't even know what it looks like. It's scary to even be in this. And I said, it's okay, because the koinonia is a work of the Holy Spirit and the finished work of Jesus. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on who God is. And he says it in this, in, in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, koinonia, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Acts 2.42. If you could just say, God, let that word be the word that I do. I'm devoting myself to the teachings of Christ and to the, and to the fellowship and to the meeting of groups and, and shared life and common life and to the breaking of bread and to community and to prayer. The thing, the spiritual things we talked about, we talked about worship, community, mission. And the first church was generous and growing in these things. If we are to see Koinonia at Faith City in groups, we have to devote ourselves to Christ's teachings. And what do I say to that? Be a disciple. Devote ourselves to meeting with each other, having fellowship, being made a disciple. I love that. I love that God said this is how we do it. I'm going to conclude with this. The Prince of Preachers, I love him. He says it like this. When fellowship is the sweetest, your desire is the strongest that others may have fellowship with you. When, when fellowship is the sweetest, when you desire to be around other people. When you desire. You can ask Melanie. I desire that all the time. And when truly your fellowship is with the father. And with his son Christ. You earnestly wish that the whole Christian brotherhood. May share the blessing with you. Man what an application. First you personally want fellowship with others and then when you're in fellowship with others you're worshiping in communion on mission with god you want all people around you to desire the same thing like hey brother uh you're alone you're doing this thing come and join us in this group that we have that is what god is saying that with fellowship is is bring others in and not casting others out i mean he says it has to be growing it has to be growing so today, as we start to believe in and start to take communion, we need to understand the simple fact that we are entering into an eternal, existent relationship that's real and not imagined with Jesus as we take the presence and ask that his glory comes within. I believe that Jesus on the day that he died knew that fellowship was a, a work of the Holy Spirit. Because he asked us to do this in remembrance. And how would we do this in remembrance if nobody would ever invite us? 
How can we remember something if nobody ever teaches us? So Jesus is, is, is putting a call to all the disciples who will become apostles that today you are to invite people into koinonia with me through communion. You shall teach about my word. You should share that I walked this earth, that I, that I died, and that I was resurrected, and that because we can share this bread, that is the bread of life, you are entering into an eternal implication of fellowship with not only those around us, but with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Then he says, drink this cup and remember the things that I've done. Remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus prayed for the whole world and sweated blood. Remember that when he was on the cross, he he didn't deny us salvation. And he was pierced. And blood was splattered on a centurion spear. And remember when that happened, the whole earth shook and the, and the veil in the synagogue in Jerusalem split in half and it marked the day of crucifixion on that mountain. And he says this has some eternal implications that are spiritual for us all. And as we pray, do this in remembrance of me. Remember that I died so that you can have the deposit of the Holy Spirit and his work in you. And that I did a finished work, not a work that needs to be, to be continued on, but I did a finished work on the cross so that you can have fellowship with each other. Man, this is serious. This is a serious thing that John is putting on our hearts today. That God really wants us to be in relationship with each other. And he wants us to grow with each other. And he wants us to show up with each other. And today as I pray, try to ask God to remove any barriers that you may have. Not talking about your work or your job, but personal barriers that you have with having a common life with other people. Father, You are beyond amazing. Your word says in Ephesians that you could do more than we could think or imagine. God, this is just a moment. But it only took a moment for Peter to drop his nets. It only took a moment for Levi, the tax collector, to stand up and leave his booth. It only took a moment for Zacchaeus to go on that that tree and be noticed by Jesus. But we are asking that your glory would fall in this moment in our lives. Would you invade earth, God? Your word says that let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as we take communion, And do this in remembrance of Jesus. Move. God, move. 
Move in our hearts today. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. You may take of the bread and of the cup.